It's time for Forward Nation Radio. Now here he is, the host of Forward Nation Radio, David Leventhal. A nine-year-old boy spends his allowance buying school lunches for his classmates who cannot afford their school lunches and therefore are being shamed by their schools, their educators, their guardians. What the hell is this country coming to? Damn socialist kids. Anywho, welcome to Forward Socialist Nation Radio. I'm David Socialist Leventhal. Hey, happy almost July 4th, everybody. Gosh, so much to celebrate. Thank you very much for joining us. It has been a busy week for Forward Nation Radio, prompted mostly by the fact that studies are indicating that people are not getting enough Forward Nation Radio in their diet. And also, of course, the Democratic presidential debates, which we felt we needed to cover extensively. and We hope you've had a chance to listen and enjoy. We wanted to cover the debates because they're important and also because it gave us an opportunity to look optimistically a little bit at the world and watch reasonable people who might be governing this country in a way that benefits society. We did not want to miss out on the week's news, however, which indicates that the people governing our country currently think the exact opposite and how they indicate that this country increasingly seems to be engaged in a battle between good and evil. And spoiler alert, good isn't winning. Okay, with our political parties and their supporters, maybe it's not necessarily good versus evil, but it's at least not evil versus evil. But the remarkable news, the Democrats are actually going for good, not just not evil. Remarkable moment in this country. Well, obviously, you've you've seen there are other shows up around this one regarding the Democratic debates. Special bonus episodes this week. I hope you have some time to listen to them all. Anyway, thanks for joining us for this one. So that story that I alluded to in the very beginning, yes, around this country, we have been shaming young school children because their parents have not paid their lunch bills. School children who should just be getting school lunches around this country. Look, if, if these parents are just deadbeats, And the parents have the money and they're just not paying for their kids' lunches because what the hell? I'm sure there's some of that going on because, of course, this is America, the land of resentment. And you could expect that parents around this country with a lot of assets will be looking around at poor kids and feeling like they're the lucky ones. And why should I pay for my lunches if they're not going to have to pay for theirs? There is, of course, a word for parents who can afford it but just want a free ride. And that word, of course, is Republicans. And that's not who we're talking about here. We are talking about kids who are in families who cannot afford school lunches and are therefore being shamed at their schools. By the way, there is a word for people who shame young children because their parents cannot afford to provide them with meals. Interestingly, that word is also Republicans. Speaking of evil, did you hear that the President of the United States has once again been credibly accused of sexual assault or rape? Don't feel bad if you haven't really heard of this. It's basically not even been a blip on the media radar screen. The president of the United States, once again, credibly being accused of rape. Here's the way the New York Times describes it. Uh, Carroll, referring to Jean Carroll, the journalist who made the accusations, 
writes that Trump, quote, pushed her against the wall, pushed his mouth against her lips, then pulled down her tights, unzipped his pants, and forced his fingers around my private area, thrusts his penis halfway, or completely, I'm not certain, inside me. She doesn't call it rape, although what she describes is actually rape. And this is the President of the United States. The President of the United States, of course, is outraged by these accusations, responding, she's not my type. Yes, that was his first response. He did go on to say, I didn't do it. Obviously, credibly, as he has the 20-something other women who have accused him of sexual assault. But his first response was, she's not my type. We have come a long way since the days of Bill Clinton. Remember that? Bill Clinton, the second president impeached in the history of the United States because of consensual sex. Inappropriate sex, I might add, but consensual sex. And now we have a president of the United States who who has admitted to sexual assault, has repeatedly been accused credibly of sexual assault, so much so that it's not even a blip on a radar screen. And yes, we don't know if these allegations are true. Maybe we should appoint a special counsel or an inquisitor-in-chief, as was the case in the Clinton administration. Although in this case, there is plenty of corroboration for her story. But it doesn't really matter for most of this country whether the story is corroborated. Half of this country knows very well that it could very well be true. And half of this country just absolutely doesn't care. The New York Times, of course, has responded to the story, which it came out with very late and underreported, as admitting that it was overly cautious in, among other things, underreporting the story, which, as I pointed out, has been corroborated by several people who were there at the time or who were there to hear about her describe the incident at the time. Yes, here's another example of the liberal media at work. The liberal New York Times, once again, bending over backwards, twisting itself into pretzels to make sure that sons of bitches on the right and the right-wing propaganda machine cannot credibly accuse it of being liberal. Something that we can expect to see over and over and over again by all of our so-called legitimate media as we head to the 2020 election, and it almost certainly makes the same mistake it made in 2016 as doing everything it can so that maybe Fox News would declare it fair and balanced, which will never happen. Anyway, as all this goes on, we are reminded, Roy Moore, 2020. In case you've forgotten that one, Roy Moore, the man who barely lost the Alabama senatorial race a couple of years ago because of lots of evidence that he is basically a child molester, uh, is planning on running again for the Alabama Senate, for the Republican Party, for the Alabama Senate seat. Speaking of evil... Did you hear that John Sanders was forced out as the head, well, you know, the acting head, we don't actually have any heads, the acting head of Customs and Border Protection? You might have heard this. The guy who'd been in his job for a couple of months now, making him a longstanding member of the 
acting Trump administration, a guy who has already burnished his resume for Fox News and whatever jobs conservative America await him now that he's stepped down from destroying America, has been forced out as a head of Customs and Border Protection because of all of the scandals that have emerged regarding basically the torture of children. And for this one, we are inclined to say, finally, some accountability in this country for wrongdoers. Some accountability, in fact, for the torture of children. The disgraceful neglect has been reported over and was reported by a gaggle of lawyers who went down and inspected uh, at least one particular uh, border protection facility. People, children were kept weeks without showers, without clean clothes, and without sufficient food. They were kept for days without diaper changes. They were kept with the lights on 24 hours a day. A technique, by the way, that we used in Guantanamo Bay and other places. They were forced to sleep on concrete. And as I've already reported on this show, denied basic necessities of life, such as the ability to have some recreation, medical care, some kind of sustenance. Children kept under torturous conditions that, let's not forget, Laura Ingram of Fox News describes as summer camp. Yes, the Fox News that is currently running this country. I want to say thank God there is finally some accountability in this country and some decency after this facility in Clint, Texas, where the inspections occurred, was closed and the children were relocated. Well, I want to say those things, but I can't so say those things because there apparently still isn't any decency in this country. And it looks like uh, Mr. Sanders firing was not for the awful conditions, torturous conditions that these children were kept in, but it looks like for capitulating regarding child torture when all the information came out. In other words, the problem may have been that he did relocate these children and tried to respond to this. I note that the news of his resignation, of course, came shortly after agency officials disclosed that more than 100 children had already been returned to the facility in Clinton, Texas, indicating it seems pretty clear that there is right now a fight within the administration between, well, maybe there isn't a fight anymore, maybe one or two people who said there are limits to the amount of torture of children that we can abide, and people like Stephen Miller, who apparently will see no limits to the amount of torture that they will abide, at least as long as those people have brown skin, and people who are clearly ascendant and are now dominating the administration. Yes, I want to say that this is finally accountability, except that Mr. Sanders has been replaced by an even more hardliner named Mark Morgan. A guy who comes straight from, drumroll please, you want to take a guess? That's right, Fox News or Summer Camp Central. Fox News, who I believe is going to be soon instituting their new slogan of, We're now the Oval Office. Mark Morgan has been a hardliner on Fox News for a long time about mistreatment of children and minorities in general. And as a result, of course, he endeared himself to the president of the United States. President of the United States has been looking at the same reports we have this week about how 
At least seven children are known to have died in immigration custody since last year. Seven children. After almost a decade for statistical context, in which no child reportedly died while in the, cust in the custody of Customs and Border Protection. An increase of, well, we can't even do the percentage because you can't add a percentage to zero. Anyway, the inspection and the report came out thanks to a whole bunch of lawyers, including lawyers from some of the top law schools in this country. Or, as is now being described by half of this country, fake news. That's right, because lawyers from the top law schools in, the, in this country clearly can't be trusted, just like anyone in this country who's not actually a certified corporate whore. Nor will it matter to almost half this country that these reports of abusive conditions have just been confirmed by our own government. Anyway, all these conditions, this torture, is obviously fine with this presidential administration. At least what, that's what they are continuing to argue in court to this day. Arguing in court that these conditions are fine and are upholding our government's responsibility under the law to provide for children in our custody. Leading to this remarkable exchange from a federal judge questioning a lawyer for the United States of America. Are you arguing seriously that you do not read the agreement as requiring you do something other than what I described? Cold all night long? Lights on all night long? Sleep on the concrete floor and you get an aluminum blanket? Those were the words of a federal judge, apparently one that Donald Trump hasn't yet been able to replace. Give him a little bit of time, people. Give him a 2020 election and you won't have to worry about federal judges worried about the torture of children anymore. Anyway, what does that sound like to you? What do those conditions that were described by a federal judge sound like? I don't want to open up a can of worms here, but it sounds to me like a concentration camp. <gasps> Did I just say concentration camp? No, you can't use the word concentration camp in America, Dave. That's bad. That's where we've come to in this country. That's where the debate is right now. The president's apologists, the president's political party, are upset that some people, like the usual bugaboo, their bete noire, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, how could you refer to them as concentration camps? That evokes Hitler. The concern, of course, is the language that evokes Hitler. The fact that U.S. government policy is evoking Hitler? Well, there you go, Dave. Evoking Hitler again. How can you do that kind of thing? This is what the Republicans have been counting on for a really long time. They behave so incredibly inhumanely that they get to discredit anybody who accurately describes what they are and what they're doing for being over the top. Anyway, while all this is going on, adding to this story, you've probably seen this. Democratic Congress wants to add money to help, wants to support what we are doing to open up and prove border facilities, to 
add judges so that we could process these cases a lot faster. And they have an emergency funding bill to provide billions of dollars to alleviate the suffering at the border and alleviate the national emergency. The problem is, of course, they can't pass the bill. They can't pass the bill, not because they don't want to pass the bill, but they can't pass the bill because they know what's going to happen when they provide all this emergency funding. It is going to be co-opted, as the Republican Senate is already starting to demonstrate. The money will not be used to alleviate suffering that doesn't hit the radar screen of our governing political party. Maybe it'll be used to build a wall. Maybe it'll be used to figure out new and better ways to inflict cruelty upon the, the most suffering people on the planet right now. This is who we have become. Anyway, speaking of evil, the United States Supreme Court. Yes, big surprise. I've been warning about rulings coming out for a long time now. Well, a couple of big rulings just dropped today at the time that I'm busy recording this. And they lead us to ask the question again that I have been asking on this show since I'm betting the very first show, which is why do we continue to treat in this country the United States Supreme Court as an institution as if it is deserving of any respect at all? Why do we treat it as something that it's not a court of law and justice rather than the partisan political organization that it has become and that clearly needs to be changed? Let's start off, of course, with the ruling on the citizenship question. And on this one, to a large extent, the court punted. Okay, As the New York Times described it, Chief Justice Roberts, writing for the majority, said the explanation offered by the Trump administration for adding the question appears to have been contrived. By appears to have been contrived, this is my language now, by appears to have been contrived, of course, what Roberts is alluding to is that the administration blatantly and repeatedly and demonstrably lied to the United States Supreme Court and to several lower courts. So that gets translated by the Republican Chief Justice into appears to have been contrived. But he left open the possibility that it could provide an adequate answer. In other words, the Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court says, you've been blatantly and demonstrably lying to us and every federal court that has heard this matter about why you are doing this. Could you go back and try again to lie in a way that isn't so obvious? You're going to have to try it again so by the time we rule on it, everybody hasn't already proven that you're lying. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. He went on to say executive branch officials must offer genuine justifications for important decisions. Reasons that can be scrutinized by courts and the interested public. Oh, that radical. John Roberts is really going to have hell to pay with the conservative right after this one. Accepting contrived reasons would defeat the purpose of the enterprise. If judicial review is to be more than an empty ritual, it must demand something better than the explanation offered for the action taken in this case. 
Not that the Chief Justice was willing to rule against this assault on democracy and this blatant perjury to courts. No, the majority decision that he authored just sends it back to the lower courts for the administration to take another stab at coming up with some pretext that could support this voter suppression. But even this was too much for the other four radical conservative partisan Republican politicians on the United States Supreme Court who had no problem with courts being lied to by the administration in its efforts to destroy democracy. Two of the four, you might recall, were pieces of shit actually put on the United States Supreme Court by Donald Trump. Justice Thomas, writing in dissent, for the first time ever, he wrote, the court invalidates an agency action solely because it questions the sincerity of the agency's otherwise adequate rationale. And again, by questioning the sincerity, let's be clear that what he is alluding to is the fact that they were court blatantly lying. That's Justice Thomas for you. Remember, Justice Clarence Thomas, for whom reality means absolutely nothing. Justice Thomas, who is the world's most blatant recipient of affirmative action privileges in the history of the world, and who is also the most vociferous opponent of affirmative action. To sum up, four of the nine justices of the United States Supreme Court were perfectly okay with a political party, their political party, I might add, extending indefinitely its minority rule in this country, by changing the census to add a question which will intimidate people into not responding, will reduce the voting power and the voting rights and the citizenship rights of people who would otherwise possibly vote against them. And the fifth justice is perfectly okay with this assault on democracy as long as the lies are a little less blatant and he doesn't look quite so bad. So the next assault on democracy was a meritless decision on the merits by the United States Supreme Court on the issue of gerrymandering, an issue that we have long talked about on this show. Go back and listen to some of our old shows on this, particularly I recommend the show uh, where we had sociologist Andrew Beveridge on to talk about the roadmap that he had provided to the United States Supreme Court to determine when gerrymandering should be held to be unconstitutional. In this case, of course, the Supreme Court in another five to four ruling. And anybody want to take a moment and guess who the five were? In a majority opinion, and I'm going to quote here, that says, democracy schmamocracy. The United States Supreme Court, five justices who have no business constituting a majority because the Supreme Court has been stolen over the years have ruled against any restrictions on politicians stealing elections by preventing people from voting in the way they draw congressional districts. The legal reasoning in this case pretty much boils down to we're cheating and we're winning, so what's the problem here? Republicans only get to entrench their minority power by cheating. So what do you want us to do? Stop that? based on the tried-and-true legal theory of, I got mine, Jack. Yes, this decision is that disgraceful. It is that awful. And the only thing I could say here is, fuck the United States Supreme Court and stop talking about its integrity. Stop 
talking about any efforts by John Roberts to try to protect the integrity of the United States Supreme Court. It has none. It had none following the disgraceful Bush v. Gore decision, and it has managed over the last 19 years to get even way lower than that. This is scum. This is partisan politicians wearing robes. The only robe Clarence Thomas should be wearing is the one he uses to flash women. Democrats, again, we are reminded, need to pack the courts. And one of the questions that should be asked at all upcoming debates by the presidential candidates for the Democratic Party, will you fix our court system and bring back some majority rule by packing the court with with people that the voters of the United States of America actually want put on the court? It should be a litmus test for Democratic presidential contenders that you will overturn what the Republicans have done here. The blatant theft of justice and the blatant theft of our political system. And you know what? 2020 could very well be the last chance that we have to do that. The last chance that we have to save this country. Because the Republicans just keep getting more and more and more blatant. And it's not just Donald Trump who will be ending democracy in this country. It is the entire Republican Party that has been doing it for a very long time. If they are elected in 2020, if they somehow prevail, if there are enough fucking morons going to the poll in 2020 to put these pieces of walking human trash into power, we are probably done as a country. Okay, that brings us to the Democratic debate. As I pointed out at the top of the show, you'll probably already have noticed by the time this show goes up that we have some other shows dedicated to covering the debates. But I wanted to talk briefly a little bit before we go today about what it all means in the context of what I'm talking about is basically a fight at this point between good and evil in this country. The United States of America, endgame. That's really where we stand. Well, the contrast between the parties, as evidenced in the first debate, I am recording this show now, between the two Democratic debates. The contrast between the two parties could not be more stark. Yes, the Democrats should be able to run in 2020 all across America with the slogan, we're not evil, we're not them, and that should be enough. But I am happy to report That doesn't seem to be the way the party is going to be going. They look like they are going to double down and go large in this country. The debate last night was truly inspiring. For those of us who have been skeptical of the Democratic Party as I've seen it for most of my lifetime, all of my adult lifetime, I can say at this point in time, God bless them. I'm becoming by the moment prouder and prouder of being able to call myself a Democrat. Finally, this party is seeming to embrace its progressive roots and really becoming the Democratic Party that it needs to be. That is going to be opposed by the party of privilege, as it has become perfectly clear the party of white privilege, the party of their own minority privilege. 
the party of anti-democracy, the party of inhumanity, the party of utter lack of accountability as seen throughout our country and as exemplified in the news and just the few news stories that I've talked about on this show. That is the going to be the battle in this country. A political party that actually cares about citizens and human beings and a political party that couldn't give the slightest shit about anything but its own wealth and its own power. Paul Krugman once again had a great column this week. He talked about how the Republican Party just continues to screw over its own base. In this case, with its health care proposals or lack of health care proposals. Krugman writes, while rural Americans often tell reporters that they feel neglected and ignored by big city coastal elites, the people preventing them from getting health care aren't in New York or D.C. They're in their own state capitals, and these state politicians hold power in large part thanks to the strong Republican leaning of rural voters. In other words, they're mad at all the wrong people. As I've described it, I criticize these non-elite Republican voters and sometimes slip up and call them morons. But I do so in the hopes of challenging people across this country to get better informed and to make better decisions for the future of this country and the planet. As opposed to that, of course, you have Republican voter, Republican politicians, rather, like Donald Trump, telling his voters all the time how smart they are and how great they are in order to keep them uninformed and, yes, stupid. Because if they're not uninformed and stupid, people like Donald Trump don't get elected. Krugman goes on to say some of it may reflect the general mean-spiritedness, the embrace of cruelty that was already infecting the GOP even before Donald Trump, and now has become one of the party's defining traits. Yes, that's harsh, but you know that it's true. And that again leads back to our discussions that this is the, po- the party of grievance, the party of resentment, the party of privilege among the elites, and the party of everybody else getting screwed by their elites, but being angry at all the other people that they think they should be resentful of. The people who would happily suffer themselves as long as the people who they think are lower than themselves suffer even more. The people who are being screwed all the time and the people who make really, really bad decisions, but then are sometimes upset about being made to feel bad about it. Krugman continues, there's also, I suspect, an element of cynical calculation. As I said, rural voters often complain that national elites don't care about their needs. Well, one way to make people feel hostile towards those elites is to block their access to federal benefits and hope they don't realize who's actually causing their misery. This, again, is recognizing a long-term and long-time Republican strategy. Delegitimizing government is a win-win for them since they're always attacking government. Bush, Reagan, and now Trump put absolute incompetent, yes, real elites into our government who then proceed to run it for the elites at the expense of their voters. And then, when things don't work out well for their voters, they get to say, see, We told you government doesn't work. Is it conceivable, Krugman goes on, that conservative politicians have that much contempt for their base? Yes, as I've been saying on this show for a long time. 
the only people in this country who have more contempt for Trump voters than I have is Trump and the Republican Party. How couldn't they? Okay, Because even that, they managed to hold against Democrats. The debates last week were a breath of fresh air, reminding us of the possibilities of a government controlled by decent people who actually want to make the world a better place. When decent people stand up and are inspired to talk about the possibilities of government and what government can do for this country, we are once again reminded of what is at stake in 2020 and what is at stake in our politics. Anyway, that's the show. Thanks for bearing with us through this busy week. We promise you a few days of respite till the next show. Until then, take care. Be well. You've been listening to Forward Nation Radio with David Leventhal. 